ready to create the impactful and profitable business you've been dreaming of? It's all possible. We've done it ourselves after leaving careers in law and clinical practice. Like many other professional women, we wanted the freedom and flexibility to live life on our own terms, and we felt the pull to be more present to our growing families. But we still felt drawn to contribute, to build, and to create. For us, that looked like founding software companies, but for you, that may look different. Our mission is to help other ambitious women build and grow businesses on the internet. Starting up online can be overwhelming and isolating, but it doesn't need to be. Join us for honest conversations about what it really means to grow an online business that aligns with your values and adds something meaningful to the world. I'm Sandy Connery. And I'm Jenny Barcelos. And this is the Soulful MBA Podcast. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We love audiobooks and we suspect that you do too. Because you're a Soulful MBA listener, you can get an audiobook of your choice and a 30-day free trial over at audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash soulfulmba for your free audiobook. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Soulful MBA podcast, episode 93, currently August 2018. I'm Jenny Barcelos, and I'm joined with my co-host, Sandy Connery. Hey, Sandy. Hello. Hello, everybody. We're here to talk about some of the news and articles that have caught our attention in recent weeks. So we're thinking this is going to be a new series that will come out maybe quarterly or every six months or so where we have gathered a handful of articles or stories that are maybe not long enough that we are like not something we want to do an entire podcast on just because of the content, but something that we feel like would be relevant for us to discuss here in smaller detail on the show. Mm -hmm. So we've got uh, four different articles to talk about. And I also feel like, Jenny, because we have this opportunity, this this platform to speak, that some of these topics need to be shouted out. Like we need to spread the word that these kind of things are happening out there in the world and just, you know, make people aware of what's happening. Yeah. Okay. So the first one we want to talk about is an article that I came across or we one of us came across on courts and it's called NPR's sexist blender is proof that women's work isn't just overlooked it's erased. This article made me livid. It's by Leah Fessler. It came out on July 12th, 2018 again in courts and I don't even know how to to speak about how angry I was when I read this article. So Sandy, what was your response to this? My response was to click through and read the ombudsman's words from NPR about what happened. And so now I feel like I understand it a little bit better. But basically what happened here was there was a woman and a man who wrote a book about soccer versus football, right? Like using like Americans use soccer and and everyone else uses football. And they wrote a book about that. And they there was new stories that came out about this. And uh, the host interviewed the two authors about the book that they wrote, as well as another British expert on it. And when the final story was released, it the woman's name was not on it anywhere. She wasn't even credited as being a co-author of the book, and all her quotes were cut. 
Yeah, it's kind of amazing. So it's a professor of comparative literature in German from the University of Michigan. And I'm probably going to butcher her name, but it's Silke Maria Weineck, Professor Weineck. And she, again, was a co-author of this book. And she was interviewed by NPR's All Things Considered. So basically what happened is the story comes out and she is cut completely. Like there's no mention of her existence and her male co-author is basically credited for writing this book. And NPR's response was like obviously an apology, but they basically said this is just part of a larger story. It wasn't an, an entire segment on just their book. And because of what right her co-author said, they kept his clip in and took her stuff out. But the fact that they didn't even mention her as a co-author to the book, you know, it's it's rather quote unquote convenient. And I think the reason why this caught my attention is because it's actually not that surprising. These are the kinds of like cumulative microaggressions or subtle forms of discrimination that women face constantly in academia and in, in the press and in business as well. And like you could just look at this as an isolated incident and say like, oh, it's a coincidence. It's no big deal. But the fact is, is this stuff happens all the time and there's a cumulative impact that results. Yeah. So the ombudsman laid out all the different, like each of the facts as known as she saw them. And then she like, okay, where the, what are the mistakes? And absolutely that she, of course, agrees that leaving her as a co-author off was a huge mistake. Plus there was the boss, he missed it too. So there's two people that missed that they're in the fact checking process that her name was was left off. So that is just maddening. I can't even imagine how she felt and that her her words and her voice is just erased. Yeah, no. And I think the author is basically saying it's uh, it's not unconscious bias or that it is that it's and an the, the NPR reporters are we're saying that it's just an oversight. You know, no one intentionally I, I think no one would think that the, that NPR intentionally left this female professor and co-author out of the story. But that's the whole point is that when there's a real intentional personal reason for doing something, it's like it's easy to point fingers and to say like you did this to me and this is the reason why and it was a bad choice. But th- the fact this is a more gray situation, but it points to the more to me the bigger societal issues at play, which are deeper and harder to resolve than if it was just like a single intentional personal decision. And the other interesting fact here is that the host prior to this interview, the host of this story asked the male author if he would be his supervisor and he said yes. So that was not disclosed as well. So that was another error that was made, but interesting coincidence. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, so I just I think, you know, we'll of course, like we're going to use all of the articles for these currently episodes as the hustle for the show or f- for this episode of our podcast so you can go link through and read this story yourself. I think you will probably be equally frustrated and <laughs> angered by it and also, you know, just it's just a sense I think of I don't know, I feel like deflated <laughs> for this. Like to me this is just just another you know, tick among many and like the little track that I'm keeping of where these these kind of things show up and where I notice them. And I I think like, again, it's the cumulative impact. It just wears you down over time. But important to keep mentioning and keep Keep talking talking about about it, keep awareness up there. Yeah. Yeah. So to me, that is our responsibility as podcasters is to kind of put these things in the forefront when we see them. 
Okay, Sandy, the second article that we wanted to talk about today is equally depressing, unfortunately. And it's an article from the New Republic called Women's Media is a Scam on the Subtle Horror of Refinery 29. This is an article that came out by Josephine Livingstone on July 19th, 2018. And again, it's quite depressing. So Sandy, what was your takeaway from this article? This one is to me is just like, heads up, people, there are advertisements happening that we don't know about. And this is the new reality in this digital world that we live in. And it's happening. We just need to know about it. Like it's trickery, sure. But all the history of advertising, you know how there used to be in like, well, there still are in magazines, there would be like, this is a paid advertisement, and it looks like an article. And you kind of know that that exists. And you just, you know, and so it's happening out there on blogs and lifestyle websites and so on. And it's happening. We just need to know about it. But this is, what did you call it before? Fake feminism? I think it's just calling out fake feminism. I mean, I think this article in general is pointing to all of the places on the internet where feminism is used as a tool to sell something to women, whether it's selling them an idea or selling them physical products or digital products. And I think Refinery29 is is being called out as being particularly guilty of doing this. This article in particular is about a blog called Money Diaries. It's a column in Refinery29 in this intern who makes 20, what is it, like $25 an hour is talking about her financial life and her apartment in the West Village and her goat cheese avocado wraps and her trips to the Hamptons. And basically, like, how does she afford all of this? And it turns out, like, obviously, like her parents are giving her money and her grandpa's giving her money. But then there's all the there are all these brands that are sponsoring her, right? Like they are paying her or giving her free product in order to incorporate them into her column. And in this article, it's so funny because I'll quote here, how stupid does Refinery29 think we are? (laughs) As Gabby Noon has theorized on Twitter, there is a possibility that Refinery29 embedded sponsorships into Money Diaries columns with one contributor suspiciously citing the services of a company called Thrive Market numerous times. And it's just basically also making the case that there's an entire industry here at play where women's media has always run in advertising dollars. Um, There's no mainstream magazine geared towards women that doesn't rely on money from beauty and fashion. And how essentially all of these journalistic entities like magazines or online newspapers or online sites have to compromise their editorial freedom to maintain relationships with these kinds of brands. So, you know, it's not really journalism. It's sort of like fake journalism, fake feminism. And it's something that we should be critical about um, that we're not when we're reading a blog or, or we're reading an article somewhere, we have to think about like who's paying for that to exist. And how are the author's and writers of those magazines or digital publications, like how are they being controlled by those advertisers? Yeah, Jenny, isn't there something like if you're an influencer and you post something on Instagram, and you have to disclose that that is a paid post. So there was something in the US like legally that changed that had you had to disclose that, right? Yeah, you definitely have to disclose. And you know, we are spon- we use Amazon affiliate links and there are very in some in some of what we do, and we have to be very clear in our websites about how we do those. We're not allowed to inc- include affiliate links when we send newsletters out only on certain domains. There are a lot of rules around sponsorships and affiliate marketing, but I think a lot of people sort of 
don't follow those things. <laughs> and I also think that there's a lot of gray area still left in kind of online influencer marketing. Like I don't think it's been fully articulated in the law and in regulation how this is supposed to work. And so I think it's quite easy. I mean, we see this in movies too. I mean, this article doesn't talk about movies in particular, but you can see product placement in film and television if you watch anything (laughs) like it's really clear when there's a logo that's blurred out and then there are logos that are present in the film right i mean turned at the perfect angle yeah it's really clear like the fact that somebody is holding a coke or a pepsi in a movie is a conscious decision and someone is being paid to make sure that it's that exact soft drink in someone's hand and it's different because you don't always know like you're being subtly marketed to all the time Yeah. And I think that's this is just our new reality. Like to me, this is just like, hey, just so you know, that all those seemingly independent articles are probably not. So it's no different to me than what's happened in in uh, print advertising. Yeah. You know, it's really funny because I think this goes both ways. Like about a decade ago, I would say now at this point, I was involved in conversations in the environmental space around climate change, which is, of course, where my body of work rested um, and still to some degree rests around how do we do kind of covert (laughs) influencer work or psychological manipulation, for lack of a better word? Like, how do you brainwash people into believing climate change is real into taking action? And there is real talk among people in both the video gaming industry and in film and television about how do you psychologically incorporate this into mainstream media and gaming. And I have left those conversations. I was just sort of on the periphery of them a decade ago or so. But these are, I'm sure, these, these conversations have evolved because if big corporations and branding agencies on on Madison Avenue that like sell soap are doing this. Like you can only imagine what special interests or like that I don't agree with. (laughs) And then also those that I do are also doing to incorporate this kind of psychological manipulation into the media. So just be like hyper aware that quite often if you're reading something or watching something that there have been a lot of, you know, people or interests at play and how in those like books or articles or movies before they reach you. This podcast is brought to you by the Namastream software platform. Namastream is an easy to use platform that helps you build and sell your own courses, memberships, and live stream programs. Go from idea to open for business in just minutes. You can learn more at namastream.com. Okay, third article is perhaps even more depressing. It's called How Facial Recognition Could Tear Us Apart, and it also is a Medium article. Jenny, how do you feel about facial recognition? Yeah, you know, this totally freaks me out. I think there are some people who maybe are not freaked out about this, but it totally freaks me out. Yeah, so this is an article by John Christian. Again, in it's a publication called Future Human in Medium. And the subtitle of this article is Will the New Tech Create a Safer Society or a Dystopian Panopticon? And uh, that's a cool phrase right there. But essentially, like facial recognition technology is coming. Um, Microsoft's president recently called for the government to regulate this technology. Um, it's This article is talking about the work of Judith Donath, who's a professor of social technology at MIT and Harvard, who is basically saying this is inevitable and it's entirely up to us whether this becomes something that's like socially beneficial or socially destructive. 
And it's like a decade into the future before this is kind of going to be everywhere. So I mean, this is going to be a big part of our lives. And so there are people who are advocating for its its advancement because they're like, oh, it's, we're going to be able to have a safer society. We'll be able to catch criminals. We'll be able to know where people are. And then there, of course, are like the vast majority of people, I think, are like, what about people who are stalking or discriminatory? Or how? what about... What about people who historically have been marginalized? How will this affect them? And will this mean that we're all going to start trying to constantly disguise or manipulate our appearance or our, our identities uh, to maintain no. privacy? No. And it's just this idea that until now, like as society has grown, we've been able to live a relatively anonymous life in public, right? Like in our homes and in our individual workplaces and schools and communities, like maybe we're not anonymous, but if we go to a city or an airport, where we've been largely anonymous in a crowd. And now that's not going to be the case. Yeah. So what she's saying is that you'd have like some app, you like hold up your device and scan your face, Jenny, and I would know what your name is, where you live, what your profession is. It would would tap into all the social media accounts, get all the information about you. We cannot let it happen. No, I just can't. So whether it's commercially available to individuals is going to be another story, but certainly government and certain big companies are obviously going to be doing this. I mean, Google has a picture in maps of every like spot of land on the earth where there's a road. I mean, like, just think about this. Like, this is, I don't know. I mean, I see this. To me, this is like, it is. It's like a futuristic dystopian novel, but it's actually coming. And so rather than stick our heads in the sand and try to avoid it, like we have to regulate it and understand it and, you know, manipulate it for good rather than quote unquote evil because it's coming. And that's how it's like, it's the same thing as climate change. It's coming. (laughs) Like you can say you don't want it to come. You can say it's not man-made. You can say whatever you want, but human-made, but it is actually coming. And so like, how do we deal with the fact that parts of India are becoming uninhabitable because they're more than 120 degrees most of the year. Let's not avoid the conversation because it makes us uncomfortable. Let's think about what do we do now? And this is just one of those things that's like, okay, it's really coming quickly. Like when our children are young adults, like this is going to be the norm. So I think for those of us, you know, who have kids, like we've got to be thinking about what this means for our families and our kids. And I think it just, it means like being even more careful with whatever information you put out about yourself on the internet. Like this is my, this makes me like want to go on lockdown, right? With my like privacy issues. Yeah. This is too far. Yeah. But there's people, you know, there are people who are actively like working on this and tech companies every day developing this kind of stuff. And you've got to wonder like, are we doing it as like a human species because we can, like how much are we doing because we can versus because it makes sense or because it's Mm -hmm. the right thing to do? Um, Are those questions being asked even? Yeah. And what I mean, the other like you can keep going, right? Because AI is also like we don't have an article this week about artificial intelligence, but that's like just on the horizon. And it's it's the same. Like there is a point of no return. There's a point where the machine has enough information (laughs) to act on its own. Like there is a point. Right. And anyway, (laughs) enough fear mongering. Let's talk about Sandy, our fourth article for this week. And let's talk about something positive, positive. that we've this been looking makes into. makes me so happy. So apparently this fall, iOS 12 is coming out and there are some really 
fantastic changes that we'll be seeing or witnessing using on our iPhones. So the first of them is uh, screen time. So your phone will now tell you what your overall usage is, how many hours you've been on. It will tell you what apps you are frequently using and the time that you're on those apps, which I think is just information. I mean, I think there are some apps you can get now to tell you how many hours you spent on your phone and it's kind of a terrifying number. And perhaps some of us choose not to actually know that number, but it's going to be in the iOS update that you will have that on your main screen now. Now that um, data is available to you, which I think we should all know and be very, very aware of how many minutes, hours every day we are on our phones because yeah, it's just you can slipping set away. Limits. Like the beautiful thing yeah. that I've seen in the beta version of this prototyped out is, you know, you can say I'm, I only want to be on Instagram 20 minutes a day or 60 minutes a day or whatever. And you can have a, a little slider basically in your settings where you can set that. So you, yeah, obviously, brilliant. if your kids have devices, this is particularly helpful for screen time. But for us as adults, I think you can say like, okay, I'm limited to 30 minutes a day on Instagram or 20 minutes a day on Twitter or whatever, so that I actually am cognitively in control. Um, because it's not your fault that you're addicted to social media. We're ha- going to have a huge conversation coming out about this and about what you can and maybe should be doing about that. But this is one step closer to, I think, taking back control and making sure that the amount of time you're spending on your device is what you actually choose to spend. Yep. Yeah, that's exciting. The second area that they're improving is with notifications. And right now you can go into notifications and kind of one by one by one, turn them on or off, but it's quite time consuming. So they are now grouping some of your apps that you use for So for example, like all iMessage, calendar, email, all of that will be like one notification on or off. And also Siri, you can, she will in a very, they say non-creepy way, know that if there are notifications you're receiving for apps that you're not actually using, that uh, she will disable those for you. So that's kind of cool. And then the third area is the do not disturb. So we've all seen the recent update where when we start to drive that the do not disturb while driving comes on. And I think that I think that is fantastic. And they're improving that now so that you have morning and night screens or do not disturb screens so that when you wake up, you can set it so that you're not like bombarded with, you know, this sort of download of all the notifications and emails and and tags that you've been or, or messages you've been tagged in. So it's just like you can set it so that you don't want to see those until 12 noon, for example, so you can get work done in the morning without being interrupted by your phone. So I think it's some really smart changes and something that's necessary. And I like that Apple is doing this, one would think, for the betterment of mankind, right? Like we're trying to think, how can we improve our lives and not continually just try to keep people on their phones? The more minutes, the the better. Do you know what I mean? Like I just, I'm happy that they're thinking about the human race. Yeah. And how we're living. I think that's right. I mean, I I think this is like, I'm happy to report that I think there are a lot of brands and companies moving in this direction towards responsible tech. And and I think part of it is like a financial interest where, you know, there's a backlash. There's a backlash that's coming or that's already arrived against technology. I think the Facebook kind of Cambridge Analytica scandal really put people on edge. And I think that they're 
even though we're extremely addicted, I think that there is now a growing mistrust of technology. And I think brands and some of these bigger tech companies and even smaller tech companies like ours are trying to take steps to make sure that what we're putting out is is responsible and intentional so, because their technology can create massive benefit for people, right? Like it's not... It's not like uniformly bad. If it what if it were like we a bunch of us would be on a campaign to destroy technology and destroy the internet. But it's it's obviously also a force for good. And so I think it's in Apple's best interest to be kind of leading the charge against excessive screen time and, and notifications. I think that's helpful for them to do that for their own business case. But I I also think that it's you know it's consumer driven because we're calling for more of these things. So good for them for, yeah, for taking exciting. up that charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So those are the four articles we wanted to dish on for this episode of Currently. We will be, again, putting another one of these out in probably next quarter when we've, we've got some more articles that we want to speak with you about. And I know this kind of episode is a little bit of a departure from what we usually talk about. Like we're usually talking about stuff that's a little bit more tactically relevant to many of you. But I want to point out that we're all part of this community and and we teach and talk a lot about online business. We run a technology company and these kinds of conversations are integral to sort of the future of our industry as well as, you know, our communities. And so we'll be interspersing these conversations with more strategic work as well moving forward. So what is the joy for this week, Jenny? Well... (laughs) We want to do a 180 here. <laughs> we want exactly. to take a departure a little bit from tech. So it's summer. We're recording this in summer. It's kind of the heart of summer right now. And the joy is just simply handwork or handiwork. I think, Sandy, you and I both are benefiting tremendously from taking some time away from our screens and immersing ourselves in working with our hands. I am doing a bit of woodworking. I'm doing a lot of work with my other brand, Woodland Alchemy, making product, coming up with new recipes, packaging, pouring candles. And I also recently got a branding iron, which I ordered from a guy in Europe that makes branding irons. With, so it has our brand and logo on it. I'm starting to like carve lids for candle jars and brand the hot, the wood with the hot branding iron. And like it's really tricky to get it right. Like You've really got to practice sort of the time and the heat level and the temperature and and like the steadiness of your hand and also woodworking is like a really beautiful thing to do in the summer. So I just, that's what I'm enjoying and digging right now when I'm not staring at my screen. (laughs) Mine isn't anywhere as cool as that, but I am painting my house and I spent all of Saturday, last Saturday doing this. And I just felt like a different person spending time working with my hands and away from screen and just like some really exact painting, you know, it was just, I don't know, I just loved it. And I mentioned it to you about how I felt. And so we just wanted to make this a joy as a reminder, just to walk away and actually do something with your hands. It's it's amazing. It really is like therapeutic somehow. No, it is. I mean, it's, I think there's no question that making something with your hands is tremendously beneficial for your mental health. And while you're in France, Sandy, because we're recording this before you leave, when folks are listening to this, you will be in France. But while you're away in August, my big project, which I have not shared with you yet, I think, is that I want to weave an Adirondack like hunting backpack. (laughs) What? What are you talking about? What is, you know, these basket backpacks with like the no. leather backpack straps and they're a basket, but it's in, it's like sort of open at the top. 
people from New York, like upstate New York, will know will know what I'm talking about. Are probably like east coast of Canada, but I mean, there are these like traditional backpacks that you can weave out of you know strips of wood. And I'm wanting to have one of these backpacks, and they're open at the top. It's like and a what basket. What will you use this backpack for? For foraging and oh, wildcrafting. Oh, I see. So that I don't have to carry a basket or a bucket around with me. So I can it's have like a backpack uh, basket. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they're very time consuming to make. And so therefore, like ones that are true Adirondack backpacks are quite expensive. And so I'm going to make my own. When you said Adirondack, I just think of Adirondack chairs. And I was yeah. I just heard weaving in Adirondack. I was like picturing you weaving a chair or something. So no, it's a backpack. I don't know what this thing is. Well, that sounds oh, really cool. Really it is cool. cool. It's going to be a thing. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I would start a business making these backpacks, except that it, it would not be profitable enough. Yeah. Like the wow. amount of time it would take to make one backpack. But I will, of course post pictures of this on our yeah, Instagram yeah, yeah, please. Like stories or something when it's done. It's probably going to take me the whole time you're gone. <laughs> That's so cool. Okay. And the hustle are the links to the four articles that we mentioned. Yeah. So go ahead. You know, we're just paraphrasing and pointing out little tiny bits and pieces of these articles. If you're interested in diving deeper, I highly encourage you to go read one or all of the articles and click through to other links and go down an internet warp wormhole of learning. So I think it's a worthwhile exercise if you care about the future of humanity and the way we work and integrate with the tech space. (laughs) Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, everyone. All right. We'll see you next time. Ready to go from, I really want to build an online business, but don't know where to start to... Wow, I've just sold my first digital product. That's exactly what we're going to help you do during our free Become an Online Teacher course. We've created a simple five-day email-based course to teach you everything you need to get started as an online teacher. By the end of the week, you'll have a digital product that's mapped out, priced, and ready to offer your community. Head over to soulful.mba slash teacher to sign up. It's totally free. Thank you for listening to the Soulful MBA Podcast.